This is the Brisbane Football Review with your host, James Coglin. Brace yourselves, there's a lot to deal with here. Scott Owen. Firstly, Raw Fans of Melbourne are going to have your head for that. And Adam Pace. <laughs> it's good to see that you're listening. Starting now. Sometimes we love football, sometimes we hate football. It can be cruel, it can be lovely. And last weekend was quite a lot of everything across the world, at least for the teams we follow here on the Brisbane Football Review. Hello everyone, it's James Scott and Adam with the top rating podcast that features the three of us anyway. And uh, yeah, we've got a whole lot to cover in what has been a fairly eventful week, both locally and worldwide. Scott, how are you going? I didn't realise this was the Sunday show, Adam. We... <laughs> yeah, the top rating thought... podcast featuring the three of us. You're in the intro. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, well, let's move on. Adam, how are you going? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> Pretty good, thanks. I'm just going to ignore Scott for the uh, time being. But, um, yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting weekend of results overall, not just for the raw men and women's teams, but across both iterations of the A-League. Adam. Yeah. I'm only uh, talking to you at the moment, Adam. So oh, okay. oh, so, oh, you're serious about... About him in the bin. Oh well, let, well, let, let me take the floor then. Um, yeah, look, there's some interesting, interesting results. Uh, some, some heartbreaking results on sort of the stretch of the games involving Brisbane Raw for and against. So yeah, it's uh, I guess it's just another, another week uh, being involved with the Raw. Yeah, and it, it has been a fairly rough season overall. The results haven't quite gone the way they would have hoped, despite flashes of promise across both teams but look there, there is all, always a glimmer of hope and we were discussing before we started recording Scott there, and I suppose when there is still that glimmer of hope you just kind of have to uh, give yourself something to hang on to even if you are being completely optimistic uh, wearing the Brisbane Raw orange and black uh, pyjamas you're certainly clinging on to that, that thin vein of hope for the finals this year aren't you James but the game at the weekend was kind of both games at the weekend were kind of games that were must-win for the Raw, and they were had their chances to take both of them, and unfortunately they weren't able to do so. Yeah, all right, well, let's get started with our uh, match recaps. Good to be out of the bin, by the way. Yeah, well, it was, very, it was a very brief uh, respite for Adam and I, but we'll keep moving on. Anyway, and talk about the A-League women. We'll start off chronologically. Their 1-1 draw in Wellington against the Phoenix, and... I don't want to say the Knicks are starting to become the Raw's bogey team, but they really do know how to cause them headaches, Scott. They do, and in the three games they've played against the Wellington Phoenix and the other women's, all three games have been really, really tight affairs, and they could have gone either way, all three. You could have seen wins for both teams in all three, and this game at the weekend was really the same again, wasn't it? Wellington were pretty good in this game. They kept it really tight against Raw, made it really tough for them, and in the end, the Raw did get back into the game, Adam, but... I thought a draw was probably a fair result. Yeah, I, I think it was, uh, but it was a game almost of uh, two halves where Wellington, you know, despite being last on the ladder, they're they're a really good team, you know, as far as you know, performance-wise, and sort of you know, building up one. You know, um, Emily Clegg's going to be a superstar one day. I also also thought that uh, Michaela Foster's probably one of the best dead ball specialists in the league right now, and this. is Coming from the bottom team, what what hurts them at the moment, I think, is a lack of finishing, and uh, and also as well, I think they just switched off. But uh, look, it was a it was a decent performance by 
by the uh, by the Knicks. Raw being without you know being without Katrina Gorey is a huge problem for for the Raw. Uh, both Katrina Gorey and Lucy Crummer missed this game. I, I I've got to believe it's probably just some some you know rest after they had a had a very very heavy sort of workload during the uh, Cup of Nations. So I think they were both spared the trip across the Tasman after that trip to Perth. So so yeah, but yeah, Raw without without Gorey especially. Yeah, they're a really different team, and I say it with the you know with the utmost kindness because without Katrina Gore, they look pretty they look pretty lost as far as creativity. I will say this: I think I'm going to beat you guys to the punch. Um, there was one player in particular I thought had an absolute stormer of a game for the Raw. Well, I thought you were going to finish that thought with the player's name. Oh, okay. Well, okay. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, Shay Connors, I thought, had an absolutely, you know, tremendous game. Like she, she worked, you know, hard from start to finish. Uh, got the equaliser, and you know, and was probably a Margot Rabin toenail from having the assist to win the game. So, um, look, that's this is what what it uh, comes down. She had a great game, but unfortunately, it probably wasn't enough going with her. Yeah. Well, okay. You covered a few things there, Adam. I want to go through them in a little bit more uh, detail, but the first thing I wanted to raise was the fact that the fixturing Scott really did the Raw no favours as well, especially when you consider you had, you know, the Matildas uh, joining up after a busy week, playing in Perth, and then all the way over in Wellington, and I know they're professional athletes, and flying back and forth is part of the job, but even so, like, spending that much time on a plane is massively draining, no matter, you know, what your physical state. No, they absolutely drew the short straw with the scheduling, didn't they? The, in, off the international break with players flying all around the world and and Matilda's came here in Australia as well. But then over to Perth, a long trip. And also, don't forget, this is the first time the Royal Women have had to make the trek to Wellington. It's the first time they've played the Phoenix over in New Zealand. So it's a new experience for that group as, a, as that club as a group. So it certainly did draw the short straw with that. It was If you were going to draw up the, the, the least ideal option straight out of an international break... Perth away, Wellington away, back to back would be something I don't think any club would fancy just purely for the for the logistics of it. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Like they've got all this stuff that they you know have to deal with as well, and it is still a fairly light squad by football standards as well. Where I I, I know they've got a full roster of players, but when you consider the injuries that are there as well, the likes of Annie Haffenden. Um, Kaya Stevenson has been in and out of the squad all season as well. It's just, it's players that just haven't quite been able to contribute with that depth. And when they lose that depth, you start to see the impact uh, when the big players go out, like Gorry and uh, Kramer. And, you know, Adam, given his thoughts already, so Adam, I'm not ignoring you here. but No, uh, no. He's ignoring both of us today, seriously. <laughs> no, no, I have my... Had my uh... Like um, some reaction, so yeah. And well, I was going to say, it's it is a big loss with Katrina Gorey, and I don't think there is a player in the A League that is capable of filling that gap, and not just on the raw A League wide. She is just so important to the raw in terms of intensity, drive, creativity, leadership, experience. It is a massive hole to fill, and I st- I still think Holly Palmer. Ishinori, they're having good seasons, but it's just asking too much of them to replace a player that good. 
It is, and you look at it, they went from one extreme to the other, James. Went from an extremely experienced international like Trina Gori to young Aaliyah Deverne making her first start in the A-League women's competition. She did okay in, in the game, James. It wasn't wasn't a bad performance by any 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 standard. But when you go from Katrina Gori to Aaliyah, Aaliyah Deverne, there is a difference there. I do think I think Ishinori had a really good game actually, trying to cover some of what um, Katrina Gori brings to the team. Uh, and Holly Palmer was quite good as well. But I do think. Um, in the middle of midfield, Alira, um, not Lyra Toby, Aisha Nori stepped up quite nicely in the middle of midfield to try and cover some of that. But when you don't have your best player like Trinagori, there's going to be a drop off. Although I think I, w- I would argue to a point, uh, especially uh, Nick's supporters as well, would say Aisha Nori is very, very lucky to stay on the pitch after her. She decided to uh, slap the back of uh, B- Betsy Hassett's head in the second. Um, in, in, in the second half, as it sort of you could tell, the frustration was getting was getting to her. Um, look, it wouldn't have shocked me. It wouldn't shock me if because we have seen it. And you don't you don't you know, touch a player that's down, and especially you don't touch them in the head. Even even if it was you no know, matter what, like I don't think it was. I don't think there was any malice in it. So look, I'm I'm happy that the referee uh, did only give it a yellow, but. I would have understood if it was a, if it was a red card because uh, yeah, like I said, fundamentally we've always said you know you do not touch a player that's on the ground and, uh, and like I said and, and strike him in the head. Yeah, I think that is something that probably heat of the moment is not a good look. Similar to what we saw with Bruno Fernandez uh, just pushing the assistant referee in the back in um, Man United's loss to Liverpool on the weekend as well. It's just it's one of those things where you just look at it and go yeah, probably not. Not the best optics. Did they lose at the weekend, did they? I can't believe I haven't heard about it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a miracle, but... Um, yeah, well, yeah. It's a joke that's been done before, but uh, every Liverpool fan in the office this week has been drinking 7-Up. I don't know why. Oh, oh come on. Anyway. Um, uh, yes, so m- moving back to it as well, uh, the final point that Adam raised that I think uh, you and I, Scott, will have to chime in on, shake on us. Uh, she just keeps going from strength strength to strength over the last six or seven weeks. And like we were talking about it earlier in the season where it just seemed like her confidence wasn't quite there. There were half chances that we'd normally be expecting her to, if not bury, then really force something special out of the keeper. But once that first goal of the season went in, funnily enough, against the Knicks uh, at the end of January, she's just looked like a whole different player, hasn't she? Absolutely. I mean, we've been waiting for Shea Connors to, to show the consistent run of form she has at the NPL level at Daily League women's level. And this last four to five games, James, has been the best run of form we've seen from Shea in Daily League women's. I think she's got three goals now in that period of time and absolutely looks the most dangerous outlet for the Roar in the front third. So... Really, really stepping up when the when the team needs her to step up. Again, I agree with Adam Olsen too. Was the best player on the park on mm-hmm. Saturday afternoon over there. Well, it was an outstanding performance up front, playing through the middle as well with with young players around her in the front third as well. Normally, she's just having Larissa Crummer as a foil for it. Another experienced player in the front third. This time, it was younger, less experienced players had to do a lot more and lead by example. I thought she was outstanding on the weekend, and over the last month, she's clearly been the Royals' best player. For sure. Well, uh, what do you say we wrap up with the Player of the Year votes? Now, I've gone the last two weeks, so I'm going to throw it on you guys here. And uh, Adam, yeah, your look, votes uh, for the women's game. 
yeah, look, it's uh, fairly fairly straightforward. I think we've all we've all we all agree that uh, three points Shay Connors for what we what we just mentioned. Uh, two points Hensley Handcuff. I thought she had a she had a great game. Um, considering she's back after her uh, under twenty three U.S. national team stint, so she she. Uh, she had a, a a fairly strong game. And you should know one point. You know she she tried. You know, like I said again, she might have been fortunate starting the pitch, but look, that's uh, leadership by example in front. I thought she she was just good for a point. Yep, no arguments with that on my end, and uh, that is the other thing I will say as well. Just look, yeah, I I think we can all agree finals. It's unlikely now for the raw side as well, needing some form of. Uh, several results going their way but you've got to at least be encouraged by the fact that there is no quit in this team like they, they yeah. do just keep pushing and it, it's a young side it's bringing through a lot of talent and look, you hope that this is a side that is working towards some sort of long-term goal because you are seeing those glimpses where you can where you know just how bright the future can be for a lot of these players yeah, and if you look, we'll transition talking about the men's team in a moment. The one thing you can say about both the both the men's and the women's team, James, despite the fact the season might not have been the way anyone wanted it to be, there's been no quit from either of them. Yeah, well, that is the perfect segue to the men's team. And, uh, yeah, I was uh, not in a very good mood after about an hour uh, when the Raw played MacArthur on Saturday. They were down 2-0. Uh, but, lo and behold... They sorted themselves out and got it back to two apiece. And then stoppage time happened. Jake McGing pop, popped up with a very late winner. And, well, that was the first defeat of the Nick Green era. Scott, are you more frustrated yep. about going behind 2-0, losing uh, the late uh, losing goal, or are you more encouraged by the fact that this is a side that did find a way to fight back on level pegging and just ran out of legs down to 10 men at the end. The fight's been there all season, James, in the way that they've been playing in games. They've hung around in games a lot, so the fight doesn't really surprise me. The concession of the goals was frustrating, and I I look at them, the goals they conceded, particularly the ones at the back post and the crosses and in transition, I think that is slightly too open, James. I, I, I really do like the attacking intent that Nick Green is bringing to the side, looking to to push further forward and to try and win the ball further up with some some different pressing styles and approaches to the to the way of trying to win the ball back. I just think, in particularly maybe on the first goal, it was slightly open and that sort of thing just, just is slightly frustrating. But I was genuinely encouraged by the effort that in the second half to the way they came back into the game and they created three or four really good opportunities in addition to the couple that they did take. And we'll get on to Jez Lofthouse in a minute, but... I thought when Jay O'Shea came on, that did change the game. He brought a bit more attacking intent to the middle of midfield. And after that, I thought it was really encouraged with the way that the Raw did play for the last 30 to 35 minutes of the game, James. I thought it was a good second-half performance. And if they were able to bottle that and produce that on a consistent basis, then they could be a, a threat. But they haven't done that consistently. And that's the thing that, that does frustrate me, is that their best is clearly good enough. We just haven't seen it for long enough. Yeah, and that is a frustrating thing as well. But you mentioned they're open at the back, and that is definitely the byproduct of the uh, change in setup with Nick Green at the helm. Where, not not to go full tactical nerd here, but you'll just have to indulge me a little bit. Uh, un- under Moon, they were basically playing what three central defenders, 
two fullbacks, so essentially five across that back line, and then the two screening midfielders as well. Now they've changed that slightly where those two fullbacks are now, for all intents and purposes, wide midfielders. And they've also got three up front. And that, like, that does naturally, when you're moving two defenders into midfield, even though they do have defensive responsibilities, that does, by and large, you know, it, it's a trade-off. More attacking uh, intent uh, equals more defensive risk. And it is a completely understandable and expected outcome when you do make a significant change during the course of the season, James, to go from the way the Raw were playing under Warren Moon to the way Nick Green wants to play going forward. They are very, very different approaches to the way they play the game. And when you do go from one to the other, there is going to be some growing pains and adaptation pains along the way. And I think what we saw on the weekend against MacArthur was just an example of that, where that when they get to when they get to what Nick Green wants them to be and able to do that consistently and they're fully used to that, it can be highly effective. But in the meantime, getting from where they were to where they want to get to, there's going to be a bit of growing pain along the way. Yeah, look, it's a, it's a case of um, where I still think they're, they're still trying to find their identity. It looks like they're stuck halfway between how uh, Warren Moon, you know, Want to play, and it has for the last you know three years, and you know this sort of this new, new sort of you know more open style that uh, that Nick Green is sort of promoting. So it like I said, the play, the personal hasn't changed that much. So it's just I think it's just you know new roles, new responsibilities, and yeah, there seems to be, there's a lot more emphasis on attacking than there would be you know there is on sort of you know defending at all costs, and uh, yeah, it's um it's it's a weird one that I think that you know they. I think I think over time I think it's very hard still over only 180 minutes and I thought the Perth win was good but that was probably aided by you know a bit of luck I think this is where the luck actually went the other way and um, where you'd actually say they were good for a point at at least in this game but then obviously uh, Jake McGing sort of rocked up and uh, and st- and got the winner whereas you could also argue that you know Perth may have been good for a point uh, last weekend so I think it's just it's all you know. It's all sort of you know, just riding luck at the moment, while uh, this side figures out you know its identity under under Nick Green. Yeah, and the point that I keep coming back to as well is, like when the Raw have kind of been found out, I suppose defensively, and this is going back to the time under Warren Moon, it feels like a lot of those opponents have picked out which are the right channels to go after as well. You can kind of see like the way uh, all MacArthur's goals came. It was all down that same sort of uh, path down their right side. And I think that's just something that hasn't quite clicked, regardless of who's been uh, the manager at the time. However, it's not all doom and gloom. I just, uh, I've got the stats up here in front of me. So the Roar have scored four goals in their last two games. Would either of you care to venture a guess the last time the uh, Raw scored multiple goals in a game prior to uh, that Perth the Perth and MacArthur games jeez I think it's last season it was this season oh it was oh yeah so uh, Sydney at home 3-1 yep, Sydney at home I'm trying to what the other game in that run would be They've, uh, no, that's definitely the other... Sydney at home yeah so, so that's so the last two games under Nick Green are the second and third times the Raw have scored multiple goals in the A-League in a game. 
prior to prior to the Perth game, the Raw had scored a grand total of three goals in six games, and yeah, they like, there is definitely a lot more attacking life in the team, and a big reason for that has been the inclusion of Jez Lofthouse, who we've we've spoken ad nauseum about the uh, the fact that he just never quite fit in with. Uh, Warren's system but it does seem like with uh, Nick Green at the helm he's got a lot more license to showcase his creativity and do what he does well Scott he's given given a lot of freedom in Nick Green's system and he's absolutely been the biggest beneficiary I would say of the change of management isn't he he's been he waited a long time to get back to back starts this is the first time he was able to get that and on Saturday on Sunday afternoon I should say he was he was fantastic to watch he's He's gradually getting back to the player we saw in the MPL. He's always been able to get into the same positions he could at the MPL level. It's when he got there, the decisions he was making, James, weren't the same. And he's just gradually getting that confidence back up to to take players on in the A-League, which we know he's got the skill level to do. And it was great to see him start to do a little bit of that over the weekend. And the other thing is, I think the goal he did score, okay, it was a header and it wasn't through any great play of his own. It was a nice header. It will give him a world of confidence. Remember Henry Hall when he got that tappy and all that close-range finish against Perth, and it was a, it won them the game, and, and and he really went on from there. I'm really hopeful that Jez is going to do the same because this back-to-back run of games he's had now under Nick Green, he's looking really encouraging once again. And like he he does belong at this level. It's the first time I really looked at him. I thought, yeah, he he genuinely belongs as a regular yeah. player at this level, and that's the most encouraging sign. So he's definitely the biggest beneficiary, and if. If the Raw can get him into creative areas and really look to use his skill and his speed, James, he could be a real X-factor over the rest of the season. Well, that's the point I wanted to get to as well, was just his confidence. And I think... I can't remember if I said this on or off-air um, last week regarding his performance against Perth. Is he had no problem getting into shooting positions um, in his A-League career. It's just the fact that you could see that he was still processing when he was playing. You could see him trying to work out, okay, like I'm getting into this position and in the NPL, I've got the space to drill it into the top corner with my uh, right foot. Um, I can use it, in, I can, you know, slide it in with my left. He would find ways to create space and make those scoring chances happen. Whereas in the A-League, you know, the space that might have been two metres wide might have been 40 centimetres this time. So it is just such a lesser margin for error, but it seems like he's now learning how to operate with that, um, with those finer margins, Adam. Yeah, we, we've always we've always said Jez Lofthouse, you know, he's always been, you know, who we believe, I guess, out of the MPL, Queensland's been, you know, the brightest prospect to come through and all that. And while, you know, look, I know, I know it's, it's about sort of, you know, the Jez Appreciation Society almost, but, uh, yeah, we've just got to remember, yeah, we need you know... To, uh, get some positive iTunes and uh, Spotify reviews <laughs> from the Jez Lofthouse fan page. So, guys, if you're listening, uh, we'd love a five-star review on the uh, podcast page as well, so just putting that out there, sorry. Oh, geez, I think what I'm about to say might get as Dr. Star, but uh, only, only because of the reality of, I think, you know, look, look, there is, he, he's still got a bit of a way to go. Look, he, he hasn't made it yet as an A-League player, but, you know, again, I, I sort of, you know, to build on Scott's point before, and I think it's not just the there's Lofthouse, I think it's all young players that come, A, that, you know, that, that come through the young players, 
it's a case of they just need that first goal or that first assist or that first you know big save, game defined save for the keepers to, to for them to start believing it's all about confidence you know, we see that, and most of the greatest example of what confidence can do for a player is, you know, young Nestor Iranakunda in Adelaide. The, the kid can do, feels like he can do anything at the moment. That, that's come over time. I think that's the same with, you know, with Jez as well. That, you know what, we know, we've seen, we've seen Jez grow as a player and also as a person in front of our eyes for the last, you know, six or seven years. Yeah, you know, and we know what he's capable of. It's just he just needs to then keep on going and go from you know talented MPL prospect to solid A League player, and then go beyond that. But I also as well, I agree with you, James. As well, the point that you made is very valid as well. It's I think the greatest challenge for these MPL players who come up through the ranks and to play A League is that the freedom they have in MPL to show their stuff. They don't have time to think about A League level. They can, they can think about it, they can sort of, you know, it, it, it's got to be second nature and reaction, and pretty much, you know, you've got to know what you're doing before you're going to do it in the A-League. Whereas in, in the MPL, across all the states, you have that little bit more time where the best players can actually think about it. You know, in the A-League, to be successful, it needs to be almost second nature. And that's why you know, we, we see, you know, a player, I, I refer to the goal that uh, Bashana Arabuli scored um, early on, where he absolutely lashed at that, you know, after bringing it down from that high cross. That, that's something that, you know, a lot of young players in the A-League in general need to learn to be able to do, because that was that was a well-taken goal. But, uh, yeah, look, it, you know, as far as Jez goes, and that's what we're talking about, um, look, I just think, I just hope that, you know, he gets the confidence now to go on with it, and I think the rest of the season will be his canvas. Yeah, and, and that's the point that you keep thinking as well, where he, he might have arrived as an A-League player, but now you want to see uh, where that sort of hunger to be a footballer will take him. You know, can he take himself from an A-League player to a first-team regular for the Raw? And look, if he keeps developing the way that we think he can in a showcase against A-League opponents in his time with Olympic, mind you, through the um, then FFA Cup, how much further can he take his game playing against that level of talent uh, regularly... But, the, but like, you're right, it has been two really good games back-to-back. The level of player that can say that they've made it in the A-League after two really good games are those marquee imports like Alessandro Del Piero, um, Chingiano, and I'll be honest, even after two games, I wasn't completely convinced about Thomas Broich. I think it might have been about four or five it took me for him uh, <laughs> to win me over. But the point, the point remains where two games is a good start, and we all know what he's capable of, but... There is still a long way for him to go as a development prospect. Uh, Scott, we'll go to you quickly. Putting aside what you just said about Broich, which is just one of the most blasphemous things that's ever been said on the years we've been doing this show. Also, when you bring young players into the first team, typically, James, you just want them to go out there and express themselves and be be themselves and bring what they bring to the table, their strengths, and bring that to the team. And then over time, you worry about the defensive shape and the organisation and all the rest of it. I think that's kind of a little bit of what Nick Green might have done here. Just told Jez, just go out there and be yourself, express yourself and establish yourself as who you are in the A-League and we'll worry about the rest of it over time. Not that they're telling him don't do any defensive work or anything like that. I just think they're more worried about getting him to do what he does well and focus on that. And I think that's the way that most most teams bring through young players and that's a it's a good way to go about it. Um, yeah, well, actually, that probably has been the uh, most impressive thing for me is the fact that he has been getting back and doing the dirty work on defence. 
He's, he's been getting in uh, on challenges and at least doing what it seems like are his defensive duties. Um, speaking of defensive duties, very, very quickly, I want to uh, raise the Jordan Courtney Perkins uh, second yellow card at the end. Was it a foul he had to make very quickly, Adam? Uh, yes, but the but the first yellow card was the stupid one. Scott? Yeah, he had to. So, again, it could have been a, a big moment in transition. I think he had to make that. He wasn't, wasn't to know what was behind him. Yeah, it, safe to say it was a bit of a mixed day for Courtney Perkins. He was the one who put the cross in for that Lofthouse header. But, um, yeah, that's the way it goes. Scott, quick thoughts on the 3-2-1. No, no, wait, you've already gone, haven't you? No, Adam, wait, I'll go on this one. Okay, so, three when... points, obviously, goes to Jez Lofthouse for his performance. Two points to Jay O'Shea coming off the bench. I thought he was outstanding. And one for Taras Kamulka. There we go. All right, that is uh, the weekend that was for the Brisbane Raw. Now we'll go to the biggest story in Australian football over the last seven days, and that is the NSD, National Second Division, taking a step closer to reality. I think I, I don't think I'm speaking out of school when I say the three of us are still, um, are still a little bit sceptical, but I do think it's going to be... Um, I think it's going to be interesting seeing the process over the next five or six months as they whittle the list of 32 teams down to uh, the eventual final group. I don't want there to be a, you know, set amount of, you know, 8, 10, 12, 16, whatever. If they've got up to 20 good bids, bring in 20 teams. But um, we will run through the list of teams very, very quickly. Um, Starting off with Queensland, you've got Brisbane City, the combined Brisbane United bid from Strikers, uh, Wynnum Wolves and Virginia both Gold Coast Knights NPL sides Knights and United uh, Olympic Peninsula Power and Sunshine Coast Fire uh, there were 10 New South Wales teams from or is it 9 New South Wales teams from what I can see plus 1 Northern New South Wales team a pair of bids from uh, the ACT Canberra Croatia and Gungalan United 3 from South Australia Adelaide City Football South Australia's entity bid and Playford City, South Hobart FC from Tasmania, and uh, a conglomerate of Spearwood and Coburn City from Western Australia, plus uh, four, plus eight, I beg your pardon, teams from South Queensland down there at the alleged centre of the universe, while the origin of the universe has uh, seven bids for themselves. Adam, what are your thoughts? Um, look, uh, Scott and I uh, discussed this uh, in in some length uh, on the uh, the high rating MPL Sunday show. Uh, look, um, so hang on, hang on. just just on a high rating, by the way. Yeah, hang on, just just quickly. So I just want to make it clear. So essentially, you guys are NPL Victoria, the higher rating, higher paying uh, competition that draws in allegedly more eyeballs. I'm still not convinced on that, by the way. But uh, this is essentially the origins of the universe, then. Yeah, we yes, the Sunday show is the center of the universe of our suite of uh, podcasts. Anyway, back to back to the uh, national second division, or is it called national second tier? I'm not too sure. But um, yeah, look, I, we we have you on that. But to the one thing I want to add to that, because obviously uh, the benefit since Sunday night to now is that uh, Football Australia have announced. 32 teams, uh, 32 bids, I should say. That I go. We 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 were we were working on the assumption about 23 on Sunday night. So there's a few, so a few more teams. And look, I actually agree with what you what you said, James, 
about uh, look, Football Australia's attitude needs to be more so than trying to go. Okay, we want a certain select teams, and and yeah, you know, we're just going to look for that. If if the if there are twenty good bids, and they should be looking at the obviously the next three or four months are going to be critical as far as their request for uh, proposal stage. If twenty teams meet the criteria. Well, why not have them all play? What you don't like, I said, you don't want to. We've seen this in the A League way too many times, and look what it cost us when you had maybe three or four, you know, excellent bids, but you only took two for the A League expansion. It should be a case of not, oh, we're looking to get so many teams, and we're going to cut it off at Team Twelve or Team Fourteen. It should be a case of the test should be of these thirty-two entities. Who actually can be in the competition? Who can financially financially stabilise themselves for two or three years? Who have the you know have the resource to do it and bring them into the fold? You do not want to say to a bid, "Oh, no, nah, sorry, we're we're full," because in the end, that's more money you're leaving on the table for the game. I think this is the lessons they need to learn from the A League expansion, which I think they got so wrong. Is that if you've got twenty 20 entities that are willing to be in a national second division and can afford it and have got the gumption to back it up, let them all in and then figure out how you're going to run the competition. Scott? Yeah, because you could absolutely put it as a as a multi-conference thing where you have a centre of the universe and a South Australia and a West Australia in one group and then a New South Wales, Northern New South Wales and Queensland and ACT in, in the other and Tasmania would be in with the centre of the universe and... South Australia, West Australia group. You could go about it that way, James, where you do divide the teams up like that. I agree. If there's, if it does get to the point, and I think we're all relatively sceptical how many teams mm. are going to follow through once the financial modelling is absolutely crystallised. But if it does get to the point where there's 16, 18, 20 teams, why wouldn't you include them? Why wouldn't you? I mean, if, if they've got the money and they can actually do it, do it. Again, I think we're all sceptical about how many will actually follow through and we'll have to wait and see, mm. but... If, you, if they've got the money, go for it. But again, I don't want to see football so arbitrarily saying, oh, we want a team here, we want a team here, we want a team there. Pick the best bids. Whoever they are, pick them. Well, okay. First of all, I just want to say, many people have said I'm from the origin of the universe from an evolutionary point, and it's a badge that I will wear proudly. But anyway, on the, on the d- distribution of teams, I think it needs to be a properly national competition. I think maybe you lower the bar a little bit for the entrance from Tasmania because that that's an area that is crying out for like another professional sporting team. You've seen what the Jack Jumpers have done in the NBL. Um, I th- I do really think that they need to make sure that you get those teams in there. But above all else, it needs to be teams that are capable of sustaining themselves through the first three to five seasons if the sponsorship money isn't necessarily there. Now, we all know that the A-League hasn't exactly won a lot of friends over the last few seasons as well. You know, that's just a statement of fact from my mind, but they do need to find a way to make sure that these teams are able to support themselves because I think the last thing they're going to want is that, you know, you see some of these big clubs, especially, you know, from down south where they overextend themselves to not only be functional over the first few seasons, but be dominant. 
and they wind up in a situation where they are spending well beyond their means because I, I do think that they have I do think there's a chance that with some of the external influences into this push for a second division the people not associated with Football Australia that maybe have ties to the old NSL etc I do think from that perspective they might have been sold a little bit of a pipe dream in terms of what this league truly can be that being said though like I've got full confidence in James Johnson especially with his experience on a global scale to bring this in and make sure that it is going to work I think it seems like he's got quite a good bit of nous about him and yeah for me it does need to be a national competition and it needs to be full home and away season now if it's home away and home slash away so three rounds of uh, play if you've only got eight ten or twelve teams so be it but you absolutely 100 percent uh need to be full home and away none of this conference stuff you need like make it a proper league like even if you have to do what they do in um scotland and korea where you split the league after the initial home and away thing and you make up the remaining games in a top half and bottom half sort of thing deal with promotion and relegation a few years down the track so if you get 20 teams you want to play a 38 game season yep. or are you going to cut teams off at 16 because it's too many play a 38 game season okay plain like plain and simple this needs like if if the interest is there and the money is there and like the well, I was going to say if the checks are good but we don't really use checks anymore do we as I uh, go back on the evolutionary scale again the bitcoin is good <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think I've got about five cents lying around, which is by the sounds <laughs> at the same value. I, I, yeah, I honestly just feel like you need to make sure that you've got this, you've got this stable for five years at a minimum, to where you can grow it to the point where sponsors are coming to you. And look, the the other important thing to me, and this is something that I know I'm going to care about probably a lot more than a lot of people, but the broadcast deal. You cannot get this wrong. Like, I know we've all, you know, crapped on Fox for what they did in the latter stages of the A-League, but let's not forget, for 12-ish years, they made the co- they helped make the competition as good as it was. Now, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a great ending, but you do need to get a broadcast that is going to be invested beyond the first six weeks one that has a vested interest in making it work and I, I well I'll point out my conflict of interest uh, saying uh, what they've done with the club rugby competitions which I commentate on but I think there is a really good case to be made for going with uh, Stan Sport even though the free to air component might be with Channel 9 Scott like I'll go to you on this but Stan have the Champions League so they've got some football audience already and with Murray Shaw at the helm, you can tell they do take the local sport quite seriously with the level of investment and production they do put into um, put into the QPR and uh, New South Wales Shoot Shield. And they were the alleged runner-up in the A-League and national team rights last time around. They were the other bidder as opposed to Paramount Plus and Network 10, which ended up getting those rights. And I do think it is really important that wherever they do go with it, they do get that that modelling of the broadcasting right. I don't know that just a streaming platform that is subscription and online 
the way it's done now. I don't know. It's actually online streaming, but it's free now. I don't know if just putting that behind a paywall is the right way to go. I think you do need a good broadcast partner for it, and Stan wouldn't be the worst one. But without saying who, it needs to be a broadcast partner that has the the interest level in the game and also the technology to put together a good broadcast. We've seen at the moment, particularly with the A-League, what happens when you sign up with a broadcaster that probably don't have the requisite technology behind behind the scenes, and we'll leave it at that, because we've all dealt with the problems with Paramount, but we won't go into that in any more detail today. I'm going to take a few steps back, because, uh, look, I, I agree with the point about the broadcast, but I think I think you really can't talk about that until we actually know how the competition is going to be shaped, you know, what the... What the uh, you know, so the format's going to be how many teams and whatnot, and that because that that that's all. But you're right; it is important because they need to get as much uh, rights for that for that competition as possible, because that will what is what will bring the cost down for participating for participating clubs. The point I, I the additional point I want to make is that I, I sort of I disagree with you, James, about the push that oh, it has to be national. I I think you know what. Again, it's got to be the same attitude as I was saying before about you know you don't dis, don't dis, uh, exclude anybody. You've got to go where the money is. You've got to go where the base is because look, you know, at the end of the day, and I don't, I don't know from a bar of soap how, what the particulars are of the South Hobart bid, uh, but to give them an inside running, all because that they are in Hobart, they're in the loan, they're in the loan um, part of the. Um, you know, part of you know, geographically, they should not be given an extra leg up, all because only as opposed to say, you know, South Melbourne versus Heidelberg, who have got about ten kilometres separating them, or you know, Green Gully and Avondale, or Bentley Greens. Like, if, if all those five clubs, you know, are, have got the funds, have got the everything behind them, and, and tick all the right box of the criteria, it shouldn't be a case. We shouldn't be complaining, saying, oh, there's five Victorian teams and no teams from WA or no teams from Tasmania. Especially if there are questions about where that Tasmanian bid can fully um, can fully be up to it. Like I, I believe from what well, I think, I believe that they might have some you know, very very you know strong backing. So that they, they may not be the best example to go upon. But I think you know if you're stacking, you only got to say you know what we're just going to take the best bids possible, and then we'll figure out later how we're going to jump, how we're going to sort of you know put the format together, or are we going to, are we going to follow the same lead of the A League and go? Oh, irrespective, we're gonna have a you know, team here, you know, one team in Queensland, one team in South Australia, one team in WA, and then you know, obviously, then it crystallises the market, and basically, that's how you drive teams away because they probably had superior bids. So, I look, I, I get what you're saying about you know the use of the word quote national, but I think also as well, it's very important that you don't give, you know, you know, because because you're from you know from. Hobart or you're from Perth or wherever an inside lead on say a Melbourne suburban team who probably had the better bid you know going forward in this competition well just to just sorry Scott I just like that's kind of where I go back to just to respond to that say like if there's a good bid from suburb if there are five good bids from suburban Melbourne include them but also try and use the benefits of that fifth Melbourne bid to try and uh, help support the South Hobart team as well. That's more what I'm trying to get at with that, where, you know, if you've got 15 teams and five of them are from South, uh, are from Melbourne, why not make it 16 with a Hobart? And again, I 
if there is anyone listening in Hobart, I'm just using that as a placeholder for the for the hypothetical. If, if anything, uh, actually, just on that, is that I'd actually be more worried about that Coburn bid in the other club uh, in WA, where when when you have you know a more traditional team in Perth. Perth SC basically say nut nut we're not interested and I think we say about another certain club who remain nameless in Queensland um, that have also sort of you know expressed similar sort of you know reservations so it's you know like I said I'd be more worried about them sort of being you know an outpost just just throwing in their hat to see what what's really about rather than sort of you know being a serious bid but look I don't I don't know I don't know what their aspirations are but again I think it's a case of I, I always lead off the primary you know, thought. Do not exclude anyone that meets the bid just because you're trying to limit the number of teams. Absolutely. It's a, it's a fine balance between the two things you're talking about there. I just want to change tack slightly. Adam and I discussed this in depth on the Sunday show. She listened to our view on, on this there, but what did you make of the um, particular Queensland clubs, James, that have put their hand up to be part of the expressions of interest? Not just the clubs, but the individual clubs we have seen, but also the the Brisbane United bid in particular. It's a different concept compared to the other other bids up here. Well, I, it's almost like you read my run sheet, Scott, because that was the next uh, point I was going to bring up for this. But ah. looking at the Queensland bids as well, I feel like most of them, if they wanted to, probably could make it work. Maybe not, like, maybe not as a flying success, especially initially. But you look at those names, like Brisbane City, we know they've bid for the A-League. The Brisbane United bid, which is like not completely driven by, but does heavily feature Brisbane strikers um, and everything, it makes total sense. Knights, well, yeah, they, they, they've got the money for this if they want to, and quite frankly, I kind of think they're maybe destined for a higher division than the uh, NSD. Gold Coast United, the last couple of years, they've started making noise about uh, resuming life as an A-League club. Olympic, on-field success speaks for itself. Uh, Penn Power, Ditto, um, and AJ Kelly Park. We've seen it host uh, A League Women's Games, uh, Cup Games. They've got, they've got the infrastructure there. If they want to go all in, I think it's just a case of, do they want to deal with the short term losses that that will likely bring about? Sunshine Coast Fire. That is the big, uh, if you say so, bid for me. I think, as an area, I would love to see the Sunshine Coast get targeted. We've mentioned it in terms of like possible long-term expansion for the A-League and uh, any hypothetical second division. But right now, I mean, it did kind of take me by surprise that not only did they get involved, but they were one of the first teams to officially announce in Queensland that they were also getting involved. Yeah, that was the second after Peninsula. But I think it's a, it's a really interesting mix, isn't it? Because you've got some real traditional brands in southeast Queensland with the strikers involved in that West in that um Brisbane United bid, Brisbane City as well. Gold Coast, you know, with the A League heritage. We've also got some clubs that have been really successful in recent times here with Peninsula Power, Brisbane City and also Gold Coast Knights. I think it's a real fascinating one. In terms of on on field right now, those last few I mentioned would be the best teams on field right now. The best clubs for the future going forward I think is a very different very different debate. Yeah. Uh, and that's probably where they are going to have to balance in the desires of these clubs to, I don't want to say jump the cube, rather jump in on the ground floor, as opposed to some of the other clubs around here, like, well, the name that pops ahead is Lions, 
who, if they do wind up bringing in promotion relegation uh, with the NPL and eventually A-League, I think Lions would have no problem saying, all right, we're going to wait three years and try to win their way in because that is a, that is a side and an overall facility that would be second division ready whether they get in from the ground floor or win their way in. And quite frankly, like this is purely a personal opinion, but you talk to enough people at Lions and you think they're more than they're more than happy for the I kind of want to say ego boost uh, to try and say no, nah, we're just gonna we're just gonna win our way in and then beat you all. Oh, I just I just think also just sort of uh, with, with Lions. Uh, I know because it's a question that has been a lot of people have. You know, brought up about you know where are they as far as you know in this whole process and look that's that's for lines themselves to to answer what why they were not they're not in this but uh, look absolutely you know you know both you know on the pitch and off the pitch they certainly are capable they would certainly be capable but I think this also speaks to you know this the level of skepticism about about this competition and whether you know it is fully sustainable as far as you know, the financials and you know because uh, speaking to a number of uh, of uh, club bosses that that uh, look that the the, the truth is, is that there's no financial modelling that is available. They don't know what's going to cost. But and I brought it up on the show on Sunday, um, and this is probably this this show probably has a little bit wider audience as far as you know interstate. Uh, I brought up the question: is that is the cost to be in the competition and you know the operational costs? Is that a bigger issue for the likes of Queensland clubs and South Australian clubs who probably work on a smaller um, base compared to, say, a Victorian club or a New South Wales club, where you know what the to jump from say high six figures to seven figures, you know, operationally per year, wouldn't be as big a leap as it would be for a Queensland club or a South Australian club or you know, definitely you know a Tasmania or a WA club, so or you know an ACT or a Northern New South Wales club. So I think that might be where the issue is going to come about as well, is that where while the the clubs up here. I sort of start, I look at that sort of, you know, busying their accountants regularly going, oh, geez, can we afford this? I think the, the more, especially the traditional powerhouse clubs in New South Wales and Victoria, I reckon they and their fans are probably looking around going, what are you guys complaining about? But then again, they, their operational budgets have been much higher than what they are in, I guess, the sticks that are South, that Queensland, South Australia. I think it would be an issue and an increase for those clubs down south, but it wouldn't. It's, the difference is it's a, it's a lesser mm. jump for them than it is for the other ones. Just quickly on Lions, congratulations to their NPL women's yeah. team. 61 games I've been. It ended on the weekend against East. Congratulations to East, but that's a fantastic record for Lions. And the other thing I did want to mention is talking about Lions being the notable absentee from this list. The other one I think is Western Pride. You've got to remember they were a team which hung around a long time in the last round of A League expansion. And we haven't heard anything from from an Ipswich bid of any any nature, whether it be Western Pride or a merged entity, to put up a spot for a second division. So I also found that a little bit interesting that there was no Ipswich representation amongst the Queensland list of clubs. Well, that's the other thing as well, where I kind of feel like that uh, Western Pride bid was maybe not completely dependent, but somewhat uh, related to the Ipswich Jets. Uh, NRL 17th team bin, and I'm wondering if the inclusion of the Dolphins, because the Dolphins. Don't wanna, 
Yeah, you don't, you don't want to get the Miami... Uh, you don't want to get confused with the Miami Dolphins. Um, All those Redcliffe Dolphins. Don't want to get confused with them either. <laughs> don't, want to get, don't want to get the two confused. Redcliffe and the Dolphins, two very different teams, hey, even though they train in the same up. place. Uh, <laughs> um, I've got a story to tell you guys when we, uh, we stop recording. Uh, well, we should enjoy. Um, but with, with the... Um, yeah, with that pride bit, I'm wondering if that sort of had a bit of an impact. There was one other story that did sort of get lost in the shuffle over the last couple of months, but people from the APL have been sort of hinting that that competition is going to look to expand for the 2024-25 season as well, which does beg the question for uh, you guys as well. Of these 32 teams, how many do you think may wind up looking to double dip? Because it sounds like the APL wants to give their new teams a 12-month lead-in time which means that we're going to be getting a second division and possible A-League expansion announcement coming in the next five or six months. So just very, very quickly, Scott, do you think a lot yep. of these teams are going to wind up double-dipping? I think a few will. I think the unlike the Football Australia in the second division, which has gone a broad national footprint of looking for what they can find and they'll take the best available bits, I think the APL will be very much looking at particular markets and particular places for teams. So... We're talking about Hobart a lot on this show. That's a place they'd look at. So maybe South Hobart double dip. Wollongong is always spoken about. I think Brisbane United might be the sort of bid that may go in for both. Maybe one of the Gold Coast ones goes in for both. I can see some of these teams doing that. I don't see all of them doing it, though. I don't think all 30 of these teams, or 32 of these teams, will say, yeah, we're also up for A-League expansion. But I could see some of them certainly going down that path. In the areas that the APL have interest in expanding, which I think they've also kind of leaked, is um, not major markets this time around. They want to go to some different areas. So we'll see where they want to go. But if teams in this list are from those areas, I can see them being potentially part of both. And that that's also you know what my, my point before about you know going where the money is, and that's for the National Second Division. It's a complete opposite for the, for the A-Leagues. I, I think that is going to be geographically based. And look, I look at immediately at Brisbane United, I look at that that football South Australia bid, the, the these joint bids, they're the ones I think they're tailor made for you know an A League bid. You then and as uh, as you mentioned, Scott, you know a team like a Wollongong Wolves who, who have harboured you know a you know an A League bid just as much as a National Second Division bid. That that Canberra, that those two Canberra teams, Canberra Croatia and uh, Gungahlin, they may. You know, merge the Gold Coast. You know, you can see Knights and United, perhaps. You know that. So, so yeah, I think that there, there could be certainly a lot of crossover between the APL and Football Australia with this whole process, especially if one doesn't give what the other's giving. Yeah, and that and that is the other reason why I think we're all sort of in favour of saying if there are twenty good bids, offer a space to twenty uh, mm. bids because. If the APL go to four of those bids and say, well, you've also gone for the A-League, we've got a spot for you, maybe you only wind up with a 16-team competition then. Especially yeah. because you know that... Some, like, We've all spoken about the probable need for a second team in southeast Queensland. I think you could very easily get a second Brisbane team and a Gold Coast team uh, without much fuss. But we'll shelve the A-League expansion talk... Uh, for a later date because we have been going for quite a while and we are conscious they could also promote out of this second division if they're prepared to wait until the second division starts they could promote out of this as the best teams emerge mm. they, they very well could and it might be 
that might turn out to be the best way forward and perhaps the path to promotion and relegation. I just want to uh, finish this topic off with one final thought and say, look, I find myself being somewhat sceptical about whether or not this will even get off the ground because we know a few of these clubs have just put their initial expression of interest in for the sake of being involved to see what develops. But the I and I am still very, very uncertain about whether or not this is going to work. But just the prospect of this does have me excited. You know, especially with the clubs that we've come to know just in our time covering the NPL here in Queensland. The idea of growing like a football competition in this country, not just the A-League, but getting that second tier in there as well. If it works, it can only be a good thing. I just hope that those that are getting involved and, you know, it, judging off Twitter is probably not the best thing to do, but this needs to be working in concert with the A-League. The goal should not be to become, you know, bigger, better, bolder and all of that stuff. It needs to be the competition. It needs to have a clear identity, have a clear goal and work work with the rest of the football entities in this country. And, you know, I do think that they need to find a way to work up with the A-League, but it is also very important for them to find a way to work down with the clubs that aren't involved with the um, with the second division, whatever they want to call it in the end, and make sure that, you know, they come through with the stated goal of building and eventually uniting the football pyramid in Australia. And that is also where the APL are going to have to come to the table as well because eventually you're going to have to bite the bullet and bring in promotion and relegation. I'm Again, my scepticism is Australian f- sports fans, not just football, not just rugby, not just Aussie rules. Australian fans in general are fair weather fans. So I don't think these massive relegation battles are necessarily going to be the saviour of the sport in the country. It is going to come down to good, smart and overall cooperative governance. That it, you, can, you can bring in all these competition structures, but at the end of the day, you do just need smart people in charge, making the right decisions and hopefully putting out the best possible product. All right, that was a very lengthy discussion. We will quickly yep. touch on a story that came out uh, last night and we might have to um, sort of table the bulk of this discussion for next week's show. But uh, quick thoughts on the Brisbane Times report, Adam, that the Raw are working towards a deal at playing at Ballymore uh, for next season. Yeah, look, uh, I'm still sort of trying to process this because, look, uh, I honestly, I don't think there are any solutions out there that, that helps Brisbane Raw. I think it's almost a case of, you know, you know and we, we will discuss this on, at length, um, you know, on the chat last night when this story broke, was that, um, look, Bally, Ballymore, you know, there are, there are good things that, you know, it, that brings it back, brings the Raw back to Brisbane, that some shortcomings of transport woes and whatnot. But then you've got Suncorp Stadium, you know, going back there, but, you know, draw, you know obviously there's the issues with, you know, of the cost that staying at Redcliffe, we know what you know the reaction to that is. You know, Perry Park seems seems to be a popular one to look at the re- reaction, but you know what? We're, 
where we can get the money to upgrade the stadium to where it's A-League standard. And look, if anyone that you know points out, oh, look at Macedonia Park, um, look again, because I think uh, that is a temporary thing. That's not something that's long-term sustainably. Even Tony Sage and Anthony Radic, Radic will say that. So, so yeah, look, I, I think it's a, it's a matter of time, but I think, yeah, it's, it's a case of the, lesser, of the lesser evil at the moment. Well, maybe um, they could put 2% of the $2.6 billion, which is definitely <laughs> yeah. going to be a hell of a lot more than that, uh, to knock down and rebuild the Gabba. Maybe just 2% of that could be put into uh, turning Perry Park into a football venue. Just just putting it out there. Scott, uh, your thoughts on Ballymore? Firstly, it's Park the Perry, not Perry Park. My mistake. Just, just, just for the record. But Ballymore, if that's where the Raw want to play, fine. But you've got to have it fully up to date and operational from day one before you get there. So if it's if it's, I don't want to be, I don't want the raw going there and having renovations work and stuff happening, as the as they're playing. If that's where they're going to go, fine. But have it ready to go before you go there. That's what I would say. But for me, I think they're going to bite the bullet and go back to Suncorp until Ballymore or Park de Perry or whatever is ready to go. Uh, I don't think playing at a half finished stadium at Ballymore is a great look, but at least it's central in Brisbane and everyone who's been complaining yeah. about going to Redcliffe, in fairness, including me, although I still go, at least it's in Brisbane. Yeah, well, we did see at the start of the season the uh, appeal of going back to Suncorp was good for about 7,500 people. So, yeah. Still, it's, still big, it's still a bigger crowd than we've got at um, <laughs> Redcliffe this year, so... Yeah, or, or I'm going to save that rant for uh, Season 8 mm. of the Brisbane Football Review, yeah. but... Uh, I assume we're all big fans of the Cusack idea as quickly as well. Ugh. BYO binoculars, or is it provided? Yeah, yeah I, I'm not, I don't think I'm allowed to repeat my reaction to that uh, yesterday. I'm not yeah. on this show. I don't think we're... Really, I think it's still a bit early in the night for that. Um, I will finish off. I will just quickly say as well, uh, you were talking about the need to um, like possibly uh, go to Suncorp. I would not be surprised if it turns out to be a mix of Suncorp and Ballymore. Maybe you take the you know Melbourne victory game, the Sydney FC game, um, maybe one of the Adelaide games as well. You know, you play three or four, maybe five games at Suncorp overall, and you take the rest to Ballymore. All, all I'm going to say about that is that um, th- those that can make decisions at the Raw, look, you're just going to have faith that they're going to do the right thing and they're, they're going to do the right thing by the fans, the right thing by the finances and they're not going to you know, completely decimate the club, you know, financially um, you know, f- for whatever so I think, you know what, whatever it is, I think it has, I think the fans need to sort of, you know, at least get behind it and, you know, at least, you know, make an effort to support the club those who are left and so maybe they should probably ask the fan base as well and we, maybe we could ask the fan base for on our socials over the next week where they would prefer to play but I think that's something they should probably at least consider doing is finding out what the preferred venue would be out of out of Ballymore versus Perry Park perhaps which would you prefer yeah we know that everyone prefers Suncorp but if you had to be one of the other two which would you prefer yeah well that's a uh, discussion for a little later on I will finish up uh, oh Adam you got one more thing oh no no not, not about this I just uh, if we're going on to the news uh, I was just going to say, yep. we'll close out uh, the news section uh, with a trio of congratulations, one of which Scott has already sort of preempted. Uh, Lions for their remarkable 61-game unbeaten run uh, in Football Queensland competitions. Just utterly ridiculous, the standard that they have set. Um, we'll also say congratulations to the young Socceroos who uh, progressed 
uh, last night with a 9-1 win over the Qatari All-Stars. I think their um, imported Brazilian workers don't uh, come become naturalised until the 23s. Um, Is this the thing Cahill's helping with? Yes. It's that vision. Oh, and, uh, also, and also, it may have just been a friendly tournament, but we will still say congratulations to the Matildas for their Cup of Nations win, wasn't it? Did we cover it last week? No, we didn't. Oh, yeah, congratulations to them. We, we kind of ran out of time, yes. Ah. So we're covering all so we're covering all that with our trio of congratulations. I was, I was um, actually going to extend that with uh, the young Matildas as well over in Kyrgyzstan. And they had a tough 13-0 win over Guam in their uh, AFC under-20 women's qualifiers. I think with that tournament, I think that the travel to Kyrgyzstan is going to be their biggest challenge. But congratulations to Zara Kruger and Ella Grady, Ella Grady to Queensland. They are in that squad. Bugger, I had the minus 13.5 in that game. Yeah, well, blame Zara. Cheating <laughs> <laughs> on the score uh, sheet. Um, I and uh, yeah, so this weekend, quick touch on uh, the Raw matches. The women are at home to Melbourne Victory on Saturday. Scott, what are you expecting from that game? It's Western United, isn't it? It is. They played Victory at home last month. Oh, they did. Oh, it, it's been a long day. It's either way, whereas Melbourne Victory or Western United or a combination of both, it's going to be a really tough, tough game. But they're back at home, back at the, I think it's the 2 p.m. kickoff once again. So hopefully. The weather's slightly more friendly than last time, but not looking we'll likely what based on the uh, forecast. It's meant to be absolutely pelting down this weekend. That's better than last time. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. I'm sure after four or five home games at 2 p.m. in the 35 degree heat, I'm sure the Royal players will gladly take the rain. Um, Adam, what are you expecting? Uh, look, I think it's going it's to be a tough game. I think well, Western United have got something to play for now after that so controversial upholding of the uh, result for Sydney FC. Wesley and I will go into this game uh, atop of the league, but only on goal difference. So I think they, I think if they're going to pick up a maiden uh, premiership in their first season, they're going to need uh, all three points against the Raw. But I expect a improved Raw as well, I think, from their last meeting in Hobart. For sure. All right, now... I'm expecting flippers and snorkelers to be required if you're saying it's going to be pelting down with rain, by the way. But saw 15 mils forecast for Friday, 35 for Saturday. Ooh. Hang on, NPL start a few weeks ago. What's going on? Exactly. Oh, no, Metro. Metro starts, apparently. There it is. Um, now, the Raw men, they're heading down to Amy Park to play Melbourne City. That is the right Melbourne team this time, guys. No, hang on, let me check my yes. notes. Yes, it is. It's Melbourne City away. and <laughs> Melbourne City coming off a pretty poor performance away from home against Adelaide last week where they got touched up quite nicely by the Reds. A good win for them. But City don't drop, don't lose two games very often. And this is a tough spot for Nick Green and the Raw to walk in. But if they can take the new formed attacking intent and maybe just tighten up slightly at the back, we'll see what they can do. Adam? To quote someone very, very famous, this could go anywhere, this game. Because, um, look, I would have said that uh, under the old uh, management that probably their style of play would pretty much invite Melbourne City to either win it or not. But I just don't know. This this uh, new Raw side, I just don't know what they'll do. It could it could be an absolute blowout in Melbourne City or you know, they take their chances. Brisbane might be able to sneak one. I know it's in a, a uh, location that, uh, is, that has not been kind to the Raw, but... Ah, oh, look, it, it could go. It could go either way. To be honest, I think it's going to come down to 
you know, the luck on the night. If the Raw score three goals, they win. If they score two... Not kind is generous, by the way. It's five wins out of 33. Hmm. I said not kind. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think if the Raw can find a way to score three goals, they'll win, and I think they're going to have to win this game by outscoring City. Plain and simple. Mm. Um, now, we will finish up with the final prediction, which uh, we didn't get to just before. Um, pick your 12 NSD entrance. So I will start off. I've kind of gone for a mix of teams that I think will get in, teams that are going to stick with the bidding process, and as mentioned, getting a decent uh, national spread. I've gone for Canberra combined. So I think Canberra Croatia and Gungahlin United are going to merge their bids. Um, South Australia, Adelaide City, or possibly Atalanta City by the time uh, that eventually gets announced. South Hobart, the WA joint bid. Uh, From New South Wales, I've got three teams. I've got Sutherland Sharks with the uh, backing of Cronulla, Sydney Olympic and Arpia Leichhardt. From Victoria, I've got Avondale, Melbourne Knights, and I had to put in South Melbourne, as funny as it would have been to uh, leave them out just for quick day. And uh, for Queensland, I've got two teams, Brisbane United and Gold Coast Knights. And I've got a couple of bold predictions as well. I've got Wollongong and Brisbane City will be admitted to the uh, A-League as part of their uh, four-team expansion over the next couple of years. And next in line, I've got uh, Heidelberg, Marconi, Football South Australia, and Peninsula Power. Okay. Okay. Uh, Scott. (laughs) Now, do you want my hopeful list or my realistic list? I'll let you choose. Realistic. Okay, so this is realistically what I think will happen. It's not what I necessarily hope will happen, but realistically, Arpia, Marconi, Sutherland, Sydney United, Adelaide City, Brisbane United, Gold Coast Knights, South Melbourne... Heidelberg, Preston, Avondale, and South Hobart. I think the Canberra bid will will basically be pushed into the A League. Adam, I think Canberra United will get into the A League, and as such, there won't be a push for a second division team there anymore. But that's realistically what I think will happen. Although I'd prefer a couple of different teams in certain states, but I'll leave it at that. Ah, uh, look, my mind served. You know what? Who I think? You know, I think that the clubs that can afford it, that I think could meet all the criteria. So it's very, very hard to keep down twelve. But my twelve are South Melbourne, Preston Lions, Heidelberg United, and Avondale from Victoria. Uh, New South Wales, Arpia Leichhardt, Southland Sharks, the whole Cronulla Sharks link up that, that intrigues me. Sydney, Sydney United, and Wollongong Wolves, uh, Adelaide City. Uh, South Australia, and then three Queensland clubs, Gold Coast Knights, Peninsula Power, and Brisbane United. That's, like I said, there's no rhyminess. This is why I think, based on what I know of the bids and who would be the strongest, there are a few names there that left out that yeah, I'm a bit unhappy about, but, you know, we have to stick with 12. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, that's uh, pretty much it. If we do get... I'd uh, like there to be three Queensland teams. I just think it's only going to be two. Yeah. Um, I also just want to uh, say that if we are going to uh, bring in uh, national second division coverage as well, we're really going to have to expand our team. Anyone wants to get involved? BrisbaneFootballRew at gmail.com. We're open to... Oh, so so we're we're open to the expansion bids. Sure, why not? (laughs) I bet you you we get less bids. (laughs) Especially when they find out what the pay is. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, no, actually, in all seriousness, if anyone ever is interested in um, joining up uh, with our merry little band of football fanatics, 
Um, yeah, get in touch with this Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, any of the social channels that you might follow us on, or send the email to brisbanefootballreview at gmail.com. We'll happily take almost anyone. Got a, cu- got a couple of red flags and uh, blacklists that uh, might have to keep an eye on. Terrorist watch list. Still you, still you got through, James. It's a, it's a minor miracle. <laughs> hey, you could have hosted from day one and could have seen how it went. No one wants that. <laughs> All right. That's going to be it for this edition of the Brisbane Football Review. Thank you, Adam. Yep, thank you and good night. Thank you, Scott. Thank you. Talk to you boys next week. Definitely. Um, enjoy the football this weekend. Get out to your local uh, club as well as watching uh, the Raw if you can. And uh, Take the umbrella. Yes, and if you, are, <laughs> if you are heading out to a ground, remember to stay dry. We'll be back to recap it all on the Brisbane Football Review next week. Until then, enjoy the football.